Hello and welcome to another episode of Law Simplified. I'm your podcast host, Sarah Olkesi, and I'm joined here today with a spectacular guest. He's a barrister specializing in human rights law, public law, and general civil law. He's well known for his human rights communications work on social media and mainstream media, mainly his coronavirus Twitter coverage. He set up numerous successful blogs, including the UK Human Rights Blog and Rights Info. Ladies and gentlemen, I am joined today by the celebrity barrister, Adam Wagner. Adam, hello, hello, hello. How are you doing today? Morning, Sarah. I'm not sure I'll go with celebrity barrister, but (laughs) thank you very much for having me. It's a real pleasure. No problem. Thank you for being here today. Um, Our podcast listeners, we have a special surprise for you with Adam Wagner on TikTok. Yes, you heard it right on TikTok. So make sure you stay tuned till the end and also go check out our TikTok at Law Simplified UK. Now, Adam, I must applaud your social media presence. I mean, I salute you for always consistently tweeting coverage of coronavirus. Um, now, before we get into that, we want you to tell us a brief sniff, snippet to your journey to the bar. Now, we know you didn't want to be a lawyer until you finished your master's. So tell us how that all changed and now you're a successful barrister. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I never really thought of being a lawyer um, until I guess in my mid twenties um, after I, I didn't study law at university, I studied politics and philosophy um, and English. Um, and I've always had a sort of broad range of interests. And I, and I found, frankly, I found the idea of law pretty, pretty dull. Um, it was only really when I went to the States, I, I was always interested in social activism and, and used some sort of work that would allow me to um, participate in social change or you know campaign for social change. But I never really saw law as that. Um, but then when I went to the States, I experienced an idea of law, uh, particularly constitutional law, which was at that com- at that boundary between law and politics, which I found really interesting. Um, and there's a lot more kind of social activist lawyers, or there's yeah. certainly time um, in in America. Say this is about 15 years ago. Um, so I brought that back to England, and, and I thought, well, there, there was the Human Rights Act had really only just arrived, had only just started to be. Um, in operation. So I, I wanted to try and become a human rights lawyer, but in a way which, I, which was pretty um, unclear to me how I would achieve what I wanted to achieve. Wow, that's amazing. And you know what? Things change in life and you think you never want to do things and it just just happens. <laughs> um, okay, so Adam, tell us, so like I said, you are incredibly active on social media. I mean, how do you fit everything around your schedule? You, you're a podcast host, you're a founder of numerous blogs, you appear on TV and many other things. How do you do it? Um, well, it, for me, I've always seen my activity on social media and in the media as, as part of my job. That's how I, that's how I fit it in. And, and, and I think if you see it as something which is, you know, an extra thing that you do when you when you're not working, then inevitably you'll be doing it, you know, in the middle of the night or or or, or not at all. But I've always seen it from the very beginning. I mean, I, I set up the UK Human Rights Blog when I was a pupil barrister, so when I was training, um, and from then on, I didn't really plan to sort of take this course and to, you know, because social media was only really just just opening up in. Yeah about 2008 2009 when I set up the UK human rights blog um 
but it, it's always been I've always seen myself as a as a public lawyer like that's what I wanted to be and I don't mean that in the narrow sense I mean as being a lawyer in public um, mm -hmm. as helping people understand the law as trying to bring this amazing world of human rights law which is which can be quite technical and difficult if you're not a lawyer try and bring that to the general public I mean because what's the point of human rights law unless if, if it's just you know known about by lawyers Absolutely, absolutely. And it's perfect we have you here because at Simplified Law, we try to always simplify legal terminologies to the lay persons. Um, this brings me to my next point, actually, Adam. Um, so we're going to talk about the Shamima Begum's case. And uh, we want you to simplify the whole case and, um, and, and exactly how do you feel the Supreme Court's approach in hoarding national security over um, our human rights? Um, well, I mean, it's it's actually a bit of a complicated case. It's, it's not that easy to simplify. I think that's one of the reasons why it's it's quite often, you know, it, it elicits very strong reactions. Mm -hmm. um, but the the at the Supreme Court decision was really um, almost a sort of preliminary decision in her case, because ultimately she wants to challenge her the revocation of her citizenship. Yes. So she, the story of Shamima Begin is she was discovered in a refugee camp in Syria, um, having gone out at age 15 um, as a child um, and, and, and as a sort of what, what's been popularly described as an ISIS bride, but really, you know, some sort of some sort of false marriage, ultimately. I mean, she was a child marriage. It would have, it's illegal here to get married at that age. Um, there must have been some sort of whether she was brainwashed or whether she was groomed, um, but there was something, you know, terrible happened that meant that as a 15 year old, she went out. Mm. Um, and she was she was found, I think, when she was 19. Um, and by that time, she ISIS was disintegrating and she was living in a refugee camp in Syria. And she became a very, very big sort of national story because the Times sort of put it put her on the front page. And um, the Home Secretary, who was then Sajid Javid, revoked her citizenship. So, um, and, and, it's, and I think quite a lot of people were quite surprised by that because this is someone who was born in Britain who didn't have any other citizenship. Yeah. He used a sort of really a loophole um, that you can revoke someone's citizenship as long as you don't render them stateless, which means that as long as they've got some sort of citizenship somewhere else um, or access to some citizenship somewhere else. Um, and really, the argument that was that Sajid Javid used was that her parent, because her parents, I think her father's Bangladeshi or possibly both her parents, um, that she would have entitlement to Bangladeshi citizenship. Um, now that's a, a, you know a legal argument that is either right or it's not right. Um, and also, you know, there's there's the argument, the question of whether she's a threat to national security, whether it'd be conducive to the public good to re revoke her citizenship. And usually, you get an appeal against that um, in the Special Immigration Appeals Commission, where it's in, where there are national security issues. Um, but she being in a refugee camp in Syria, being surrounded by you know, all sorts of um, pressures and difficulties, was unable to fairly appeal um, her case from Syria. Um, she's got a legal team here, but they can't, they have to take instru detailed instructions from her. You know, they, it's a factual question in, in you know, whether she's, um, what she's done out in Syria and whether she is still a, um, a risk to national security. So they need detailed instructions from her. And they just can't do that yeah. over a link to a refugee camp in Syria. So she applied um, using a 
legal precedent going back a few years for leave to enter the country um, because she's not a citizenship and it's sorry she's not a citizen anymore um, to so she can pursue her appeal in the UK and that was refused by the Secretary of State um, and then she appealed um, and she lost in the, uh, the first instance in the divisional court and then in the court of appeal she won and the court of appeal said the the right to a fair trial, the right for her to have her appeal heard against this you know, draconian um, penalty of revocation of citizenship is fundamental. And she should be, and, and it wasn't obvious to the Court of Appeal why she couldn't be um, looked at, you know, um, either arrested or, um, or put under a terrorist um, prevention um, and investigation measure, a TPIM, or get some other sort of, you know, or, or, you know put under surveillance wasn't obvious why she couldn't be brought back just to hear that appeal yeah. um, and then the supreme court um reversed that again and said the court of appeal got it completely wrong and they were really very critical about the court of appeals um decision and said that the court of appeal shouldn't have gone behind the um the government's assessment that she was a threat to national security that there was no uh, essentially that's a kind of a sealed box that the court of appeal can't um, to say anything about there wasn't any um, there wasn't a counter there wasn't any evidence from the police or the crown prosecution service saying what they would do or how they would approach her so ultimately Shamima Begum is is stuck um, the court said if you if she can't come back there probably can be no fair appeal and she may never be able to appeal yeah. um, so she's stuck in Syria she has no citizenship of anywhere um, I, I, because Bangladesh has said well we're not having her Correct. Um, and, and, and that's where she is. And, and, and some people say, well, you know, she made her bed. She, she should lay in it. She went out, as a, albeit as a child, um, to, to Syria. She has not expressed much remorse. Um, that's what, you know, the, the, the folk, when I did the interview on Good Morning Britain earlier this week, that was Piers Morgan's uh, approach was, oh, well, she hasn't expressed any remorse. And that should be the end of it. And, 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 and I think other people, not just um, kind of uh, liberal lefty types, are wondering what, whether there's some sort of deep unfairness here that we can, the Secretary of State has the power to take someone's citizenship away and then, uh, and then stop that person coming and, and appealing that decision. That seems pretty severe. Um, so I think that in a nutshell is it. It took me 10 minutes to describe it in a nutshell. <laughs> it was a, a bit clearer than just reading the Supreme Court judgment. Yeah, that was very clear, Adam, actually. Um, thank you so much. And, um, you know, leading on from your point from Good Morning Britain, um, you argued, and um, Pierce Morgan's um, um, argument, you said um, you could be wrongly accused and you don't know the the, the whole facts behind it. Um, so how do we move on from this? I mean, given that our human rights can be diminished, should there be a risk to national security? Well, I mean, there is there is an eternal battle um, in our courts since the passing of the Human Rights Act. Um, since I started practice, since before I started practice, there have been this series of cases about terrorism, um, and and they are, and they bring up these fundamental questions of how do you balance national security with protecting people's rights. Um, we had it most famously with Abu Qatada, the um, the cleric who was eventually sent back to Jordan um, after a very you know convoluted legal process. Mm -hmm. um, Abu Hamza, who challenged his deportation to a supermax prison in um, in the United States, was eventually sent back. There was a very famous case um, before I I remember reading about it when I was at law school. It was just it was just sort of happening. 
um, a case about, or it just, it just happened, a case about the Belmarsh detainees, this law that after September the 11th, after the attacks in um, the United States, there was a new law which allowed for detention without trial um, indefinitely. So people could be detained forever um, without any charge. And the Supreme Court, if they were suspected of terrorism, um, and the Supreme Court, so that the House of Lords, as it was then, said, no, that is um, against their right to a fair trial. Um, they can't be, and, 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 and they're right not to be unlawfully detained. They can't be, indefinite detention is, you know, is, is not something we, you can do. You have to have some sort of process. Um, so, so these issues are, are certainly not new, um, and I think they are, important and legitimate like you know public public safety is one of the most important rights protected in the um in the european convention yeah. in, a, in a sense the right for a, a someone to um to to live and to go about their lives without fear of um, being sort of arbitrarily blown up by a terrorist bomb or you know um you know, at a concert or a football match or, or something like that and the state has a very solemn duty to protect those protect members of the public but on the other hand, um, it will always be an argument, um, and it always is an argument every time there's some sort of danger that, well, why don't we um, just sort of, uh, why don't we just throw all the suspects in prison? Well, why don't we just deport all the suspects? That sort of thing. Um, and it's and it has this sort of superficial temptation because, and, and you, you certainly, I certainly sensed it in the interview that I gave earlier this week, um, the, and, and and another kind of um, interviews I've given about Shima Begum is this idea, well, what if she came back and, and was involved in something like the Manchester Arena bombing? Yes. And, and how do you respond to that? Well, um, because you, obviously you can't, it, it's not an appropriate response to say, well, we're unprepared to take that risk um, because it's <laughs> not, it's, it, it doesn't feel like the right response. Yeah. But I, I think the ultimately it comes down to what what we want our the, our values as a society to be. Um, do we want our values to be um, some sort of living in a sort of state of fear where anything is justified because of that fear or because of a danger? Um, and that I think is a road to sort of quite dangerous places. Or are we a society which um, which can both protect citizens' safety and protect citizens' rights um, to a fair trial, to fair process, the due process. Um, and I, I, I obviously prefer the latter. Um, I think the latter is the right way. Um, and I think it's, it's always going to be difficult, but we should always look back to what our basic values are. And those are recorded in this amazing European Convention on Human Rights that we have, which was created um, at a time of the, probably the most um, extreme social upheaval ever experienced on, by in, in history, um, after the Second World War, after the First World War, after the Great Depression, after the Spanish flu. You know, th these are events that killed hundreds of millions of people. Um, so I think that the we can look back to that. We can get wisdom from that. We can um, we can say that these values, these rights that we have um, put into these um, documents that we've agreed, the whole world has uh, have agreed, are so important that we do sometimes have to balance them against things like national security, even if that is a bit scary. 
um, because ultimately the the alternative is worse is that people end up um in prison or even being killed um yeah. for, the, for the wrong reasons yeah yeah well said adam that that was that was well said honestly um i think you know our basic human rights um it's so important and we're not even you know you know you don't you said it on good morning britain you, you're not supporting jamima Begum's actions um it's just from a human uh, rights lawyer these are your arguments um, Adam, we're going to move on to other coronavirus regulations. Now, you've been on top of, of the um, all the regulation changes. Um, tell us how you keep on top of uh, on top of the regulations. And um, I mean, even the government got it wrong when they tweeted a video, and I think you you retweeted it and and um, corrected it. Um, so how do you how do you stay on top of that? Um, it's I, I don't really know how I stay on top of it. I, I just. I've just managed to do it. Um, I think that, that it's it's more that everybody else has given up <laughs> rather than <laughs> being um, doing some extraordinary job. Um, I've, I've I've been lucky enough that the I've a lot of my work has been focused on on COVID in the past year or so. I mean, I say lucky in the sense that that's allowed me to keep a really careful eye on what's been going on. And I've been working with the as specialist advisor to the Joint Committee on Human Rights um, for almost a year now on their COVID inquiry. Um, and I've got lots of sort of cases on the boil about these kind of issues. But, you know, it, it comes back to what I said earlier, which is that I've always seen it as part of my job um, to explain the law as best I can to the public to try and help people understand what's going on. And that's just become um, much more important, I guess, in a way, now that the whole country is um, bound by these very complicated, ever more complicated regulations which um, control our everyday behavior um, and it's become a real sort of you know really important public role in a way to try and help people understand that um, not just because it it makes it you know makes the law more accessible but just because it gives people the confidence to be able to go about their everyday lives and still feel that they're um, following the rules Yes, and I think you do a very good job at explaining it. I mean, you've got 88,000 88, followers, and I think most of them are not lawyers. They just follow you because of how simple you make it sound. Um, Adam, tell us one fundamental change to the coronavirus restrictions over the past year. What, what do you mean, sorry? Um, so we were obviously, when it started, it was um, different regulations, different restrictions, you know, gathering with six people, gathering five people. So one major, you know, change that happened from a, a year ago from now. I mean, I think that the the COVID rules, the COVID laws have changed absolutely dramatically since. <laughs> you know, I mean, we, we, we've had them in place for nearly a year now, since the 26th of March of last year. Um, and just with an indication of that, the original lockdown regulations were 12 pages long if you downloaded them. And um, the current lockdown regulations are over 130 pages long if you download them. Um, so they're, they're a different beast. You know, they were really a very simple, you can leave, leave the house for a very limited number of reasons. Yeah. Um, and now there is, you know, masses of ex exceptions, complications, you know, linked households, linked childcare households, support groups, um, in very complicated ways in which um, businesses can open parts of the businesses, um, gathering rules about um, whether you can meet in a religious gathering or you know, yes. 
whatever. So I think they, they are a different beast than they were a year ago. Yeah, and they're consistently changing and even some of them are overnight. <laughs> um, okay, Adam, so we're going to move on to our quick fire round question. And um, at the moment, we are all travel deprived. Um, so let's imagine you're on a plane right now heading to your um, holiday destination. What is that favourite holiday destination of yours? Um, I, I think it'd probably be Italy. I, I love going to Italy and I haven't been for a very long time, um, not least because of COVID. We haven't barely even left the house for a year, but um but i do love the the culture and the, and the food especially yes the food oh i've heard a lot of things about the food there <laughs> and um adam one one last question and this is the most serious question we have on this podcast um this question is if you had one superpower what would it be and why oh i i, I really want to have um hermione granger's superpower i want to be in more than one place at the same time <laughs> That would be, um, you know, I, I try as hard as I can to be, um, but that is um, that is definitely um, the one I'd want so that I can, you know, I, I've got lots of things I want to do um, and sometimes they happen. That I, it'd be better if I could have three or four of me doing them. That's fantastic. Thank you so much, Adam. Um, Adam, you've been an amazing guest. You've been a fantastic guest. To our listeners, this is the end of our podcast. Make sure you follow Adam Wagner on Twitter at AdamWagner1. Make sure you follow him on LinkedIn at Adam-Wagner. And make sure you check out his podcast. He is the podcast host of The Better Human. Make sure you check out his blog, UK Human Rights Blog and Rights Info. And whatever you do, do not forget to follow us on all our social media we are on facebook linkedin twitter instagram and even tiktok yes you heard us right we are on tiktok at law simplified uk also visit our website www.law-simplified.co.uk adam thank you so much once again bye bye